Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. Um, I have a little laugh in my voice right now because that was very nerve-wracking for me, that intro, because we get a countdown on our on to each other so we can bring the woohoo in at the right time. And last week, if you listen very closely at the very start, you can hear three. And then we say woohoo. So uh, yeah, I, I I screwed that one up. Well, so I also find it funny because you go one, two, three, and then say woohoo, whereas my natural inclination is to go three, two, one, and say <laughs> woohoo, which I feel like is the optimist in you, whereas I'm counting down as I pessimist. don't know. I feel like maybe that should be a question on like OkCupid or something. Yeah, it's like the glass half full of half, or half empty approach of counting down. Yeah, how, how would you start your podcast? The answer is I would screw up and say three. I think it's kind of cool though, because it does get to the fact that we're keeping this podcast super simple. We have yeah. no editing, no songs, no intro at this point. We're, we're going for the America's Funniest Home Videos theme. <laughs> well, we'll actually get to that in like point four when it comes to like productivity and things. But I think part of it is I just want to make sure that we want to keep doing this, that we keep doing it before we like sell out with like, you know, the best song or something. I don't know. It's been fun. Oh, it's been so fun. I'm definitely planning. I enjoy this time with you. This is some of my favorite work time of the week. We just get to sh- sit here and shoot the shit and talk to each other. It's, it's oh, fun. Oh man, I love that. Shoot the shit might need to be the title. Oh, I like it. Heck yeah. We're getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so yeah, I also on a, on the theme of me, uh, screwing things up without realizing it this week on Twitter, I had a little, I posted my article that we'll talk about in topic two today. And within that, it had this this line, long, slow distance can make a base, but without long, fast distance, it often makes a bonk. So, you know, I got some likes to this tweet. People were retweeting it. I felt really good about it. But then started getting some questionable responses, some winky faces, other things. And then I clicked on these people's profiles and many of them were from England. They were talking about tea and things like that. Who is sending you winky faces? I know, Twitter, right? I'm going to have to investigate. <laughs> and so... Um, Someone put me out of my misery and replied, bonk means something very different where we come from. So I urban dictionary bonk. And um, needless to say, if if uh, long, slow distance makes a bonk, then uh, give me some more long, slow distance. All right. It's going on your training plan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. A little too loud of a laugh. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we're at now. Um, you're sitting here. This is exciting, David. You're sitting here covered in scratches and ankles that are swollen like balloons. And you did something fun today. I'm super proud of you. <laughs> and I'm pumped to talk about this because you're not great about talking about your accomplishments. So now I get to force you to do it on a live podcast. And it's going to be I'll, fun. I'll let you so t- what did you do today? Well, I'll let you talk about it because I already talked about two ways I screwed up. So I think this it works now. You had an amazing day today. Uh, so yeah. David sat the FKT on the Pawnee Buchanan Loop here in Colorado. What was your time? 439.57. And I, I fought that's hard. That's a five and a half minute FKT. I fought hard for that last three seconds. I was like looking at my clock and being that total like Strava wanker that was like, I'm going to get in under 430 because 439.57 looks more impressive than 440.00. Well, I'm proud of you because the backstory here is that on Thursday, we're recording this right now on Sunday, you went for the FKT and seven miles in made a wrong turn. The stupidest wrong turn that has ever lived. Like there, it was, a, it's a trail run. It's the most rocky terrain you could imagine. And of course I was on a Jeep road for just like a hundred meters of the run. That's like all that's on road. And I just kept going on the deep road. Just as like, this is nice. Let's keep going. You pulled a Jim Walmsley. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I, while I was out there, I was like, well, at least this isn't at 90 mile, like 90 or whenever his was. Yeah, that was epic. But I was so proud of you because so last night 
it was the first time that I've seen pure excitement come out of you before a race or before an event. You were giddy about waking up this morning and going out and having this adventure. And I think for whatever reason, the the wrong turn played a role in that. Like it made you, it. I think it showed you the course and showed you the beauty of what you were about to do, but also gave you confidence for the level of fitness that you have. I mean, I, I definitely think that played a role, but more than that, it was just totally not taking myself seriously. So like on the first one, I remember being at mile five and, you know, I was, I had like a few splits written down and I was like, I've got this. And I was like really feeling myself. And of course, you know, I'm doing like air guitar and just really rocking it. And that's when I make the wrong turn. And I think a lot of it had to do with like, I was like, I'm going to go beat this by 20 minutes. This is awesome. As opposed to the, the way that real peak performance comes, which is being like, you know, I'm out here to give myself to this event to really be present with it rather than thinking like today, I didn't think once about where I was in relation to historical efforts on that loop. You know, I was just thinking about it's a really pretty tree. Oh, and also it wasn't air guitar this time because the last song I listened to in the car on the way up at like 4 30 AM was wagon wheel by old crow medicine show. Megan's Megan made me a playlist. So some quality strumming. I was having air mandolin on the Ooh, top of the Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was super cool. And I mean, it was just really fun to be out in nature. And I think what really brought it back with me when coming home is, you know, I, the first text when I got back in service was Megan saying, call me immediately when you get back in service. And then a very inappropriate joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That can be censored. <laughs> that will be censored. Okay, yeah. Um, I was just, I was, that was a check. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we're quite there with our podcast we listeners are no, yet. I don't think we'll ever be there with our podcast Oh, listeners. just wait. Just wait till 2021. We're going to be bringing the heat. Um, but you know, in, in last night, for example, we were watching we were watching Scrubs, which we're really into right now. And I forget what the joke was, but Megan was just laughing so hard at something like that we were talking about. And I, I mean, I was like, well, you know, she loves me. It's all that matters. And I, I think the lesson there is try to be that person, not just to your partner, but as many people as you can. Like Megan gave me superpowers today because she just made me light. Like you know, every all the weight that I was putting on myself she carried with her laughter and just like caring. And, you know, I felt that going uphill. Like I, I just felt lighter. You that know? means a ton. Thank you so much. But I think what I hope I <laughs> instilled in you on this one is, so we've been really working on your training with fueling. Yeah. So in the past, David used to finish long runs and he would walk in the door looking like a horror show. There'd be salt <laughs> rimming your eyes. Like you could see like the depths of terror in your eyes. And it was because you weren't really fueling your long runs. And we've made that a priority this training cycle. And what were you eating a gel every 15 minutes in the last part of that? Yeah. And many of them were caffeinated. So, so this is going to be an A++ fast. Or podcast. it won't. My brain might not be it might be a little scattered it's shooting all over the place it's definitely gonna be something and there's definitely gonna be wine after this otherwise i won't sleep for three days um well but, you, that's just means you're gonna be up with me we I have know, yeah. insomnia this is perfect on the last episode so we're just gonna be chilling together at yeah i'm meeting you where you are it's gonna be super fun we're gonna have a party um but yeah th thank you for for that support and, and thanks for talking about it i know it's not you do not like talking about these things at all so thank you for humoring oh yeah I'm, I'm pretty confident this one will be beat by one of our athletes within a week or two so it's a it's a good thing for me to talk about because i'm not like well then you're gonna go back out there and get it no way. <laughs> this guy I'm thinking of is, you know, wiped the floor with me in the best way. It makes me so happy. Okay. So you want to start this? Let's do it. Awesome. Are we going to get through four topics? Heck yeah. You know, we are actually, I got an email. Someone emailed someworkallplay at gmail.com where you can ask questions. Three of the four questions they are there. And they're like, I agree with Megan, 
there should be three topics so you can dig in more with her scientific knowledge. I've actually gotten multiple athletes tell me that as well. So we'll just keep tallying these. <laughs> I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Oh man. I am not getting the FKT with uh, podcast structure. Okay. So topic one is from listener MM and it's chasing potential with age. And I'm actually going to read the tail end of the question. My question is how long can I improve before age limits my performance? Or put another way, can my 65-year-old self with 10 years of consistent training be faster than my 56-year-old self with just a few months of training? So essentially, this athlete is starting around 56. Um, so we're going to start by just talking about the physiological realities, because you probably know where we're going with this, if you know our, our ethos of like, you know, you can keep improving forever. But I think it's important to recognize that strength, most studies show, peaks at around 25 years old. Um, VO2 max peaks even a little younger. And where you can really see this, I would say, is in baseball. So, you know, for the longest time, they thought that peak performance where you give players the big contracts is in their late 20s, early 30s. And the more that they've done advanced statistics, they've seen, actually, those contracts almost always turn into boondoggles. I said that. Boondoggles? I'm looking yeah. at you. <laughs> like, I said that and I was like, I think that's a word. We're going with it. Let's go with it. Boondoggles. Shoot your shot and boondoggles. I think you got a title. Um, and, you know, the one time that was changed was when steroids were prevalent during the um, early 2000s, late 90s. And that's super interesting, right? Like, you know, what we're seeing is that there are physiological realities that steroids kind of changed the, the game a little bit with people like Barry Bonds. But for the most part, those strength elements do peak then. But studies show the opposite in ultras. Like across performance playing fields, many ultra athletes don't peak until their late 40s even if they've been training for a long time. So like, what are we seeing there? That is so cool. I'm fascinated by that. I'm also fascinated how it relates to female athletes, because yeah. I think if you look at the top level of female ultra running right now, it definitely is skewed into those later years. And there can be a number of reasons why for that. Um, you think about just like the experience, ultra running requires dealing with many different variables that come your way on race day and what is age, but just, you know, having had that experience across yeah. the board. But I, I'm glad we're diving into this topic. And lipid metabolism for women and estrogen and all these other things. And I mean, long distance running is just totally different than these strength sports. So what we're looking at here, one, is aerobic development. Aerobic development continues to improve, low level in particular, um, as long as you do it. And so many studies show that you're getting decades of aerobic improvement. Uh, two, running economy. You know, a great example is Paula Radcliffe had this very, these very detailed performance metrics. And her VO2 max was higher at 18 than when she set the world record. And at 18, she was just a, a national class runner um, for, for juniors. So yeah. Corinne, I'm going to put an asterisk next to that, because I think it gets back to the theory that we talk about often about not drawing conclusions from outliers. But, Paula Radcliffe is one of the greatest outliers, but if those outliers of all time. If those outliers confirm what I'm going to, what I'm trying okay, to say. Okay, go for it. Go for <laughs> yeah. it. I got it. Confirmation bias is my homie. Um, yeah. And then, so that's running economy. What you're seeing improve there, even though VO2 max didn't improve her speed did. And the other big one is muscle fiber distribution. So for running, we all want to be as slow twitch as possible, even when we're doing those strides and things like that. Um, and there's tons of evidence that athletes become more slow twitch to pr predominant with age. That might be one reason why you see athletes like Liza Howard, like Megan was talking about, a female athlete in her, in her mid-40s, um, you know, winning national championships in, in ultras. Um, and there's tons of stories like that. Um, so, you know, I think the general rule we see is that there's usually 10 to 20 years of raw performance improvement, no matter where you start, as long as you stay focused on like the long-term process and not getting too down about like the normal ups and downs. So for the athlete's question, I mean, we need to know more details, but I would say definitely like your 65 year old self is going to 
be just like a totally different athlete. And I would emphasize consistency with this too. So throughout the podcast, we'll talk about consistency as being the true key to performance. And I think the important thing about age is, is that consistency becomes even more important because sometimes injury risk is a factor. And so often with athletes who may be above 40, we're layering in more cross training, Mm -hmm. more strength training to make sure that we keep that consistency rolling to unlock that performance over time. Yeah, definitely. We'll get into like master's training at some point, like in detail. Um, But I mean, I think you know, those physiological realities we talked about, like we will all eventually hit those ceilings, you know, like we're all going to die someday. And sometime before that, most likely we're going to have some performance decreases, but you know, as coaches, we almost never see people truly hit those limits. I mean, sometimes it happens, but almost always there's mental hurdles before the physical ones. People give up on themselves before their bodies give up on them. And so that's the message is like, don't give up on yourself. Um, the athlete that I, whose story, like, I just want to end with this is Mark Tatum. So, you know, Mark Tatum had been mostly a cyclist, but also a runner, um, his whole life. And I met him when he was 54 and, um, every single year he has gotten faster and faster. And I was going through his log before this podcast. And I really think the reason is that Mark has the down days. He has the injuries. He has all these things. And every single time he's like, I'm going to get him tomorrow, you know? And when he doesn't get him tomorrow, he's like, well, next time. You know, in that patience and persistence, I mean, we can apply that to anything. One more small story yeah, yeah. to end this is your dad. Oh, so yeah. your dad reminds me a lot of you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a truly beautiful thing. Maybe I probably learned the word boondoggle from my dad. I'm sure that sounds like a Michael <laughs> yeah. Roach word, that's for sure. But your dad has a really beautiful way of framing age. And I think he sets all of these new goals for himself all of the time. And they're goals that are centered around adventure. Many of them are centered around, uh, you know, setting 5K times in, in new places. And it's cool to think about how he's taken age and reframed that. Like, I think he understands the physiological reality of what he's going through, but he just finds these new events to train for and throws himself all into yeah. it. And it's it's something that I can see you doing down the road. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's really funny to see it manifest in your dog. Oh, and I, I think that's the big lesson. It's just new challenges, right? Like if you're chasing, if you're trying to compare yourself to a younger version of yourself or a version of yourself that didn't have kids or whatever the situation is, that comparison is never going to be healthy for you physically or mentally. So like, you know, developing challenges that get you up in the morning, but don't get you down like every time you don't meet them. And your dad has removed that element of judgment from it. And I think that's, that to me is what strikes me as, as the coolest part of that situation. Yeah. Right after I called you today, I called him. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had fun. a feeling. Yeah, yeah. Dad, dad's dad's a big fan. He's like, um, all the coaching stuff that you see from from me, all started with him. So like he he coached all of our youth sports teams, and so I grew up in this really rural place. Always had horrid uh, football and basketball and baseball teams, and he coached all of our youth sports teams, even though he worked crazy hours as a lawyer. And um, you know. All is, it was purely focused on play. Like we didn't run plays. We didn't talk about like specifics of like methodology too much. We just like scrimmaged and joked and had fun. And what's so cool is that he stopped coaching, you know, after middle school, but all those kids then went into the high school and those teams, you know, either won state championships or competed at a level that teams hadn't in the past. So it's a good reminder of like, you know, the play element coming in. Awesome. So let's go to topic two. Let's do it. Heck yeah. So this is the article for this past week, which is long run intensity, which is that tweet I mentioned. Um, so you'll see this a lot in, in marathon training cycles, right? Like Hansen's training systems being the most, uh, the most known for it, but also Canova, basically any top level marathon. 
Um, when the margins are slim, almost all long runs at the elite level, or at least like a portion of them, have a substantial amount of intensity. Those athletes are not going their full race distance all the time. Um, and what does that intensity actually mean? Yeah. And so we give, as swap coaches, we give a lot of intensity layered into long runs. So for example, a 16 mile long run could have something like 35 minutes at marathon effort for trail runners, working some of that effort on uphill, some of that up efforts on downhills to really work the neuromuscular adaptation to get the leg resilience, go musculoskeletal resilience going. Um, it could also mean surges. So yeah. one of my favorite long run structures is doing one minute surges every five minutes great for road marathon training, but also great on the trails too. It's fun yeah. to surge on trails that are more technical because it works that neuromuscular turnover. It works that proprioception on trails. Um, and so there's lots of different ways that you can layer yeah. that intensity into like long runs. You, you really made this clear to me when you started coaching back in 2016, like before then it, I coached more traditionally, I would say. And, you know, Megan had a heavy emphasis on intensity in, in long runs for athletes with less volume. Like that's one of the things we're saying here. Like most of our athletes will be doing no more than 16 miles most of the year and then occasionally go higher before big races, but way less than you'll see at, with other people. And then, I mean, that even applies to people like John Kelly and Damian Hall, two swap athletes that both set the 268 mile Penine way FKT in the last week, right? Like they're not, they never went over 25 miles in training. In fact, I think my strongest 50K that I ever raced. Oh, this is such a good story. Was Flagland 50K, which was the USATF 50K championships in 2016, I think. 14. 2000, oh man, I'm way off. <laughs> <laughs> but I had not done a long run of over 16 miles before stepping, like ever in my yeah, life, yeah. before stepping into this 50K distance. And I had, a, it was one of my stronger 50Ks. So it was, it was Wednesday of the race, or Wednesday. We hadn't talked about this race at all. And um, we had just come back from a race in Italy. And Megan was just woke up on Wednesday. She's like, I don't really want to run today. And then I think while she was, while she was sitting at the computer, she realized that, oh wait, this is the 50 K championships weekend. And she had never gone over 16 miles. And of course in classic Megan style, she's like, let's drive up to Oregon with Addie, Addie dog and go race it. Um, so she rested Wednesday, Thursday, we did a run in Oregon on Friday. And then she reset like all the records on, on Saturday, but you know, her long runs involved a lot of intensity. Uh, in this similar structure before. So, you know, we've applied that same principle across the board. And, and I think that there's, you know, physiological reasons for this too, right? So, um, you know, there's three main ones that the article talks about. The first one being glycogen recovery. So we're going to get into like fat adaptation, all that at a later point, but the basic principle is that the best fat adaptation is being very, very fit. Um, you know, if you get really fast, then the, your aerobic threshold is going to be sky high. You're going to be burning fat at efficiently fast paces across the board. Um, you don't need to do dietary hacks. In fact, dietary hacks probably will, you know, cause you to regress over time unless you're an outlier and they don't confirm my biases. So, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll not count them. Um, and then the second one is musculoskeletal adaptation. So the specific stresses that Megan was talking about. Improving that resilience, specifically for trail runners on downhills, this yeah. is helpful. And then I think the other point about long run intensity is that sometimes we do back-to-back -back long runs for athletes who are uh, building into ultras on the trails. So something like 18 miles one day, 10 miles the next, or 20 miles one day, 16 miles the next. And it's great to have long run intensity in that first mm -hmm. longer run, because then it creates a little bit of a better musculoskeletal adaptation stimulus yeah. in, that you get from and the And causes some more glycogen depletion too. Exactly. And then the final thing is just this broad bucket of neuromuscular adaptations where like, if you step up to the edge and then live to tell that tale, you gain strength. The, the story that was told in the article was about Clara Gallagher. You know, at mile 62 of Western States in 2019, we saw her there at, at Forest Hill, the aid station, 
And, you know, if we did a muscle biopsy at that point, her body would have indicated that she really had nothing left. But there was a fire burning in her soul. And like where that comes from, that might be genetic. It might be a little bit of training, um, but we can all work on that little element for ourselves. And I think there's something powerful too about long run intensity makes you show up to your long run almost in a race mindset. Yeah, yeah. For and you recover ways. for it too. And I think it's a great, it's great practice for athletes to work into that mindset of, of getting into an effort of stepping out the door and, and getting excited for yeah. the long run in that sense. So the message is just don't be afraid to add little tempo sections into your long runs, things like that. Like long, slow distance is fine, especially in base building. But I think to take that next step, it's time to crank it up. It also makes the run go by faster too. Yeah. Put some surges in there and the run flies by. I mean, usually there's yeah, yeah, yeah. an asterisk there. Sometimes <laughs> these runs are, are a little rough. Hence, you know, walking in the door looking like a salt zombie like I have in the past. Um, so topic three, we're running a little long today, so we'll have to be a little faster. Um, topic three is training partners. And this is a question that was asked by EH that was just about training partner dynamics. So training partners are really good. St there are many studies on how it reduces RPE, so perceived exertion. but the same thing can happen from music. The same thing can happen from coffee. I mean, there's a lot of things that reduce RPE. There's no magic in training partners. You don't need to run with people. But, you know, there's some some considerations you need to think about. I have a conversation a lot with athletes about running with training partners. So I think for me personally, when I run with other people, I'm often very deferential. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm like, oh, hey, this is your run. I'm just here to tag along. Like I care so much about their run experience that I'm just pretty deferential out there but it's different when I run with you. So when I run with David, it's, I find because you're just like an extension of myself, like we just have that natural relationship, obviously, because we've been together now for 10 years, that it makes it easier sometimes for me to like project my frustrations <laughs> on the run, like onto you. And I've, I've been working on myself for the last couple of well, years to keep that from happening. Let's tell the story from the long run that we did on Green Mountain. So a couple of weeks ago, David and I did a long run up Green Mountain here in Boulder. And we decided ahead of time, and this is one of the important things I think about training with a partner, is just having a dialogue ahead of time about what the run expectations are. So we decided ahead of time that David was going to take the lead on the climb. And I just was having a tough day. It yeah. was the end of a training week. And I am sitting behind David at 180 heart rate, just like dying all the way up Green Mountain. And David is like, he, I felt like he was lollygagging up front, telling poop jokes, just having the time of his life. And I was back there just regretting, like I was questioning my fitness. I was yeah. like projecting my frustration. And I was oblivious. Like, I had no idea and which is on me too, you know, but it's also on both of us. But I think what it came down to for me was I just felt like if I had communicated to you that I wanted the pace to slow down, that I would have felt like I was, you know, a mental mess yeah. or a wuss or any of these things. And truly, like, I just needed to own that day and be like, I'm having a tough day. We need to slow down. And I need to personally work. So on wait, that. what happened? What happened? So we get to the summit and I, I don't really, I'm again, oblivious. And things are okay, a little weird. Um, then we run down off the summit because there are people up there. And then what happened? I just unleashed a giant F-bomb that I'm sure the entire town of <laughs> And we stopped. Heard. And I, there like, was... I am so frustrated. This run is not fun. <laughs> yeah. I am dying. You're telling the worst poop jokes. <laughs> and it's just not a good experience. And it was eye-opening about you know, just us having the dialogue about expectations and me just needing to get better at not projecting my frustration. But that's a problem for so many athletes. We see this all the time and no one talks about it. And I'm actually a little hesitant to write about it because it's a little awkward to talk about like cross-gender running partners, right? So testosterone is a hell of a drug that, that men, all men have. Like if you look at the IAA, 
A F. I might have said kudos. Three A's. That's right. Okay, I might have said three A's there. Um, but if you look at their performance charts, you know, there's about a minute per mile difference between you know men and women at equal levels. That's the key to remember here. It's equal levels. Like a woman that is running with a man is either a better runner than that man, or there's something else going on there. And so it's so hard to accept. I think especially for motivated women, which is most runners, that like you know if you're running with you know, a male oriented group, like there's a lot of considerations that like men never think about. It's true. But the funny thing about that for me is, is I understand it's like, I study the physiology of testosterone. Like I understand that you should inherently be faster than me. That's just, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, that's the point here is Megan is a far better runner than me. Far better. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, a hundred percent true. I mean, you can look at flagline, for example, where I had a good race and finished fourth. Like there's, it's just different levels, but that's fine. But even with those different levels, even with Megan being way better than me, like, you know, when we run together, like, I mean, sometimes I'm a little bitch. I, I guess I'm allowed to say that we, it's our podcast. Who cares? Um, but like, you know, that doesn't mean, but usually like, it's like that run on green mountain. So I think the key here, like, what are the, what are our takeaways? Do you think, like, what do you think people need to think about with their training partners? I think this, if you're running with other people, clearly set intentions of what the run yeah, is yeah, going to look the... like. I think the person who is faster should always be deferential and should be caring about the fact of, you know, having someone else lead or not always like, you know, half-stepping someone and just really having that open dialogue. And then I think for females training with men, just giving yourself the grace and the understanding to know that testosterone is a heck of a <laughs> drug. And even though females, like we can do amazing, amazing things, but testosterone is just unfortunately an unfair performance. And you yeah, know, yeah, when you're talking about across when, yeah. when you're talking about across genders and just having that perspective is helpful when stepping into training, um, you know, training a training partner. I love that so much. And so the lesson there is just try to really clearly communicate and put your ego at the door. Like it's super hard, even in our relationship with other things, like we're trying to get better and better at that with time. It's like, you know, you can communicate about anything. And like, if you listen to last week, me being a sensitive bee, like, if we talk about that, it makes it, it takes off the stigma and makes it relax. So like try to give everyone around you the grace of communication. So now you're censoring yourself. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the sensitive B in me. Awesome. So topic four, the last one we're going to leave you with in the three minutes, 45 seconds we got left. This is a, a push for doing three topics. I know you're right. I'm losing constantly. Um, topic four is procrastination and productivity. This There's a general question that came from uh, listener GB. Um, so I'm going to start with a quote from Vonnegut because I'm that guy, um, which is we're here on earth to fart around and don't let anyone tell you different. Oh man, we're back with poop jokes. I know, seriously, but it's Vonnegut. So it's a good one. Um, and so the fart around element is where I really want to start this productivity thing that many of us have ingrained in ourselves, whether it's from culture or our parents, or even just our own internal drive is a figment of our imagination. It's a story we're telling ourselves. So that doesn't mean that productivity is a bad thing. It can get you up in the morning, it can be really exciting. But procrastination and productivity are things that we, they're, they're narratives that we are controlling. So like, I really want people to try to reframe procrastination as a valuable use of time too. Like we're only given so much time and there's no reason that a to-do list should justify any amount of your, of your self-work. I'm a to-do list person, but I've I've recently been struggling with productivity. And I think a lot of people have during this COVID time period, because we're working from home, we've got all these new changes to work schedules. And I think from what I feel is, especially recently when I've been doing more work in science, is that the way science works is that often one thing works and five things don't. And I've had to grapple with the fact that me doing work that 
is likely to fail or me like pushing against these obstacles or just not feeling productive is actually time that I'm probably learning and, you know, either developing as a person or learning in science or any of these things and just really trying to embrace it, which has been a bit of a struggle, but I'm getting there. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I I have been so impressed by you. Like, and I think the problem with things like to-do lists, I mean, they're amazing if you can keep them in context, but often I see people end up needing to-do lists for everything. Like if I'm not in my relationship checking these boxes, then it's not, I'm not either being a good partner or it's not a good relationship. Whereas like, it doesn't, that's not the way it works. You know, it's this like overarching um, feeling that you have about your own life and existence that matters. And so to-do lists can kind of contextualize that, but only in like a secondary way. It's like a proxy variable for the actual thing we're trying to look for. And I think they block creativity in many senses. It's like, if you're constantly constrained by that to-do list or by these parameters, it's like, how are you actually going to think outside the checkbox? Literally. Yeah. If you need something to be good or like to reach a level, like how will you ever start something new? Right? Like I, I see this all the time with writers. It's like a blank page problem. And you know, what I always say is the best advice ever given to me about almost any subject by my mom was don't think right. Um, she said this to me when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Just write. Like, it doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it checks the box off its do list and amounts to anything. But just by that process of starting, um, you know, it's so liberating. And starting is by far the hardest part. Yeah. I, I mean, you can even apply that to running, too. Yeah. Like, there's so many metaphors. But where there. it comes from, though, I think is like, you, it's this ultimate permission to fail, right? So like a to-do list is like, oh, I'm succeeding. I'm succeeding. I'm succeeding. Screw that. We need to be like. Well, I think we, it's okay to layer some yeah, yeah. of that in. So, like, oh, I sure. need some element of that. Like, I need to check off, did laundry today. Yeah. Like, I definitely need that. And but that's we okay. also need a box on there that says, I failed today. Yeah, or I was creative, or, or I'm thinking outside the box. I took, a risk that didn't, I took a risk that didn't work out. Or, you know, I just wasted time. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think the big message here is like, um, we have 15 seconds left. Let's get out there and fail, right? So, you know, your productive brain will be like, that failure doesn't count. But that failure is everything. That's where you learn. That's where you live. Those farting around moments are where life happens. Toss that to-do list out the window or keep it around. We love you guys. Woo! Woo!